There's another podcast you should be listening to, TED Health, a podcast from the TED Audio Collective. Join host Dr. Shoshana Ungerleiter as she introduces you to leading health experts and breaks down the health questions you didn't know you had. Learn more about the way your body works and the newest insights changing the medical world, like what a smart bra means for better heart health, three ways to prepare for the next pandemic, and how we can all live healthier lives. Find TED Health wherever you listen to podcasts. This is a CBC Podcast. It was a stressful time. Like, this was vital health care that I needed. And I just wanted it to start. Like, I felt like this was a new beginning that I was walking towards. And it kept getting further and further away. <laughs> I'm Dr. Brian Goldman. My personal pronouns are he, him. This is White Coat Blackheart. Hi, my name is Kit Sparrow, and my pronouns are he, him. I'm 32 years old. I live in Almont, Ontario, and I work as a senior accessibility engineer, which means I help make software usable for people with disabilities. That stressful time Kit Sparrow was referring to was in the spring of 2023, when he was waiting to start gender-affirming care. The root of that stress was something called gender dysphoria, a recognized medical condition that describes the unease that some people have when their birth sex and their gender identity don't match. Some of that unease comes from being unseen and uncounted. That's changing. Canada is the first country to put gender diversity into the most recent census in 2022. It found that just over 100,000 people in this country, age 15 and older, identified as transgender or non-binary. Doctors have taken huge steps in addressing the condition through gender-affirming clinics. Still, there's been political pushback on publicly funded health care for trans people in provinces like Alberta, Saskatchewan, and Ontario, where a critical funding decision has had a serious impact on health care for trans people. People like Kit. In kindergarten, I started to refuse to wear dresses. When my sister and I would play pretend, I was always the father figure. I also pretended to be a boy in the early days of the internet. I had several accounts with my gender listed as male, and I went by the name Matt to some of my online friends. When puberty hit for me, I had a visceral reaction to starting my period. This was at age 11, and my chest was growing as well. It felt inherently wrong. It was something that my body was doing to me against my will. And this is essentially what dysphoria felt like to me, this massive discomfort and unhappiness and wrongness. Then over the pandemic, I had the chance to do some soul searching and exploring. When Elliot Page came out, I suddenly realized that transgender men existed. During the pandemic, I got back into some video games from my teen and my college years. I created new avatars that were male, and it just it just clicked. It felt right. I also started going to therapy and talking more about my feelings with professionals. And I tried going by a new name and pronouns with close friends to see how it felt. Sometimes when I was feeling particularly brave, I even gave my new name to strangers, like when I was ordering a drink from Starbucks to see how it would sound and how I would feel when I heard it from someone I didn't know. And I was elated. I was experiencing gender euphoria for the first time. Another key moment was when I ran a photo of myself through a mobile application called FaceApp that allows you to change your gender with AI. Like it broadened my neck, sharpened my jaw, gave me a beard. The results gave me absolute chills. I felt like I was looking at myself in a mirror at the person I should have been while simultaneously feeling an immense rush of empathy. I wanted to give this version of me the 
biggest hug to tell him that we'd be okay. It wasn't too late. I could still become that person. I could still become me. In practical terms, becoming the person in the portrait means getting health care. So in March 2023, Kit went to his family doctor. She referred him to an endocrinologist to prescribe the male hormone testosterone. The wait list for that specialist was seven months long. I was absolutely crushed, especially because my, my family doctor told me that they usually followed up pretty quickly within a month or two. So I thought that that meant, okay, in a month or two, I'll have my prescription and I can start my transition. And when I got the phone call and they said, yeah, we can schedule you in for November, I did a double take. I was like, sorry, excuse me. And when I got off the phone, I cried. I was just absolutely crushed and devastated that I would have to keep waiting. And this was something that I was ready for. I had planned my summer to be the summer of my transition. And that was something that I'd have to continue to wait for. And so in desperation, I started calling more clinics, more walk-in clinics, um, more endocrinology offices, trying to find, is there anyone anywhere who can get me this prescription sooner? And the more you know, I heard the words no, <laughs> the, the deeper and darker my depression got. It made it hard to breathe. <laughs> I guess it was something that I didn't want to face. And a part of me wondered if I, w- I could last that long because I would look at myself in the mirror every day and know what I could be and what I wasn't yet. And seeing how other people saw me, that I would go out in public every day and I would get she heard and missed and mammed and, you know, can we help this young lady? This young lady has a question. And every time that that would happen, it felt like Millions of tiny paper cuts. Millions of paper cuts that lead to unending despair. People with gender dysphoria can have anxiety, depression, and thoughts of self-harm. They don't have many allies. Our next guest is one of them. Hello. Fancy meeting you here. Nice to meet you. I'm Kate Greenaway. Brian Goldman, pleased to meet you. Nice to meet you. Want to go upstairs? Let's go upstairs. All right. Hi, my name is Kate Greenaway. I am a family physician. I am the medical director of a clinic called Foria, uh, which operates in Ontario and Alberta, and we are a virtual gender-affirming care clinic. I also work at uh, the gender identity clinic at CAMH, at the adult center. I found us an office with a window today, so we don't have to be... I met Dr. Kate Greenaway at the Gender Care Clinic at the Center for Addiction and Mental Health in Toronto, where she sees patients in person one day a week. Currently, the wait list for the clinic here is between six and nine months, similar to Kit's wait to start his transition. Yeah, we have a lot of uh, research that tells us that wait time is actually one of the most precarious times uh, for people. So for people that have identified that they really do need an intervention to live a safe um, and you know affirmed life, when they seek out medical care, um, that often is point of distress in their life, right? They're experiencing a lot of potentially dysphoria, um, you know, transphobia, things like that happening in their world. They really need an affirming voice. They need someone to talk to about what's happening and to help them make changes. The rates of um, depression and anxiety in trans and non-binary people is is very high, like, you know, two-thirds or more than people express feeling, um, you know, extreme distress and, and suicidality, right? And so, the other thing that we know is that once care has been initiated, that level of 
distress and you know thoughts of self-harm drops dramatically right to I think there's one study that showed it went from 50% of respondents who were waiting um, feeling some sort of distress suicidality to 1% once they had started care. So it's a quite a dramatic drop. And so we know the longer that wait time is, the more time we have for someone to feel that kind of distress and feel like they're really not going to access care or not going to be able to. Dr. Greenaway has seen the life and death impact of that waiting period. She started the first ever virtual care clinic in Ontario for trans people. And it's the latest incarnation of her long-term passion to provide gender-affirming care. You've been at this for 20 years. Where does that come from? Um, so I went to medical school in Halifax at Dalhousie. I've been engaged in queer activism my entire, well, before I was a doctor. So, you know, even at, at Dalhousie, I led the, you know, the queer organization for undergrads. And, you know, my friends were all part of the queer community. And while I was in medical school, I had the experience of seeing um, some friends looking for support around their gender identity and just um, looking for resources and just realizing there weren't any. And it it certainly wasn't um, training I was going to get at Dalhousie in the early 2000s. So I decided to um, leave Halifax to come to Toronto for a residency. And I specifically sought out a residency program that would do training uh, for me in LGBTQ care. And right away from day one, I was um, part of a practice that was, you know, almost entirely made up of queer and trans people. You know, my fam I have family members who are trans as well. My partner is trans and my best friend. And so this, this happened much later, that this was, you know, my own personal life experience. I was already very much immersed um, in LGBTQ-focused care, but it actually became a focus um, to protect my family members, too, ultimately, as things changed politically, that this, this changed my heart a little bit, too. Dr. Greenaway was supportive of gender-affirming care, and patients started coming to see her from ever farther away, some driving six hours there and back just to see her in person. And so I actually started to ask people, like, well, why are you coming this far? You know, like, what, what is it? Is it just because it's an affirming place? And they said, no, I really, like, I just need someone to start me on hormones or refer me for surgery. That led Dr. Greenaway to start Connect Clinic in 2019, her first foray into virtual gender-affirming care. So I started Connect Clinic as a sort of consultant option for people where they could stay in their community, they could come see me, I could get them started on hormones, they could still see their own community doctor for their stomach ache and ingrown nail. Connect Clinic was publicly funded through Ontario Telehealth. There were no fees for patients, and demand grew fast. So six doctors joined me, um, all working part-time on the side of their own family practices. Um, Even with all of us working all the time, we could not keep up. So we were getting, I think, usually about 150 referrals a month, up to 200. And that continued. So we, we continued at that through... 2021, 2022, our wait times were growing, right? Of course they were, because you can see the math of that <laughs> equation. And I think we were we were at the, that kind of tipping point where we were saying, like, what does it look like? Do we expand to more doctors? Do we need to think about nurses? Like, what does our model look like moving forward so we can serve our community? But then the Ontario government severely restricted funding for virtual care. Prior to the pandemic and during the pandemic, I was able to bill a regular consult code. Um, With the virtual care changes that came into effect December 2022, you could still bill for virtual care, but you could only bill $20. And so if we were doing a 45-minute 
um, assessment, you know, you're basically making $20 an hour and paying clinical staff and et cetera through that, um, which is entirely impossible. Um, We were actually given assurances from the ministry that we would be successful in getting an exception to the rule, that they would help us through this. Um, And ultimately, that was not the case. We were told that we could not continue to see new patients through virtual means. And it was a week before the changes took place that then we were told we couldn't see our existing patients and get funded at the rate we were funded. So I actually, I ran the clinic at a deficit, like I paid for it myself for four months. Dr. Greenaway had hit a brick wall then. So basically I had my clinic shut down following that change. So Dr. Greenaway made the pivot she thought she'd never make. When was the moment when you said we got to do this as a for-profit model because, because we're pursuing all these other envelopes and we're not getting them? It was a tough sell to me, right? So I have a master's in public health. I am a very strong supporter of our public health system. But the only way we could think to fund it in Ontario was private pay. We could not find any other models that would pay for it. Now, none of us wanted that, right? We know that trans and non-binary people are extremely marginalized um, in terms of employment and, you know, income. Um, There's a statistic I quote from TransPulse Ontario, which uh, shows the median income for trans people in Ontario to be $15,000. Median. And this is despite many of the people that they were studying having post-secondary and, you know, master's degrees. So it was not necessarily an education divide as much as an income divide, you know, based on many factors, including, you know, transphobia in our society. So this is the last population we want to charge for care. Why not just keep fighting and getting more vocal and political about it and and just saying, look, I am not going to have a private uh, clinic because because I believe in publicly funded health care and any 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 step in in the direction of private is going to erode publicly funded health care. I am one of those people who definitely would argue that when you create um, a private system that funnels resources out of a publicly funded system, um, that you are not improving equity, right? So in general, that would have been my argument a couple of years ago. I think I considered every possible model, including flying to all of these communities. Like we, we actually worked out, like how much would it cost? I, I felt like I had looked at every scenario, like how could I, how could I make this system work for the patients I'm caring for? And I couldn't find the answer. And so ultimately the question I brought to myself was knowing that I can't find the answer, do I close down? Like, do I close down until I find an answer, knowing that might be five or 10 years in the future? Or do I continue with whatever I can do um, to keep this clinic operational? And that's the choice I made. We'll be right back. Okay, don't skip ahead. I'm going to talk to you about climate change. And I know it can get depressing or infuriating, but our show takes a different approach. It's Laura Lynch, and I'm the host of What on Earth? And we're all about solutions and hope. And I promise, no matter how overwhelming climate change might feel, we're with you on the journey to fix this mess. So listen now, wherever you get your podcasts. You're listening to White Coat Black Art. Our show this week is about gender-affirming health care and what that means for trans people and their doctors. 
Dr. Kate Greenaway was one of very few providers of publicly funded virtual gender-affirming care in Ontario. Then the province cut funding for virtual care, leaving 1,500 patients and 2,000 more on Greenaway's wait list without access to gender-affirming care. Ontario's Ministry of Health did not answer multiple questions from us about gender-affirming care access. In 2023, Greenaway opened a private virtual clinic called Foria. Many of Dr. Greenaway's patients were shocked at the news they would have to pay out of pocket. And when Kit Sparrow was looking for this care, there was another layer. Now, Kit, I understand that you're an American. You came to Canada in 2018? That's right, yep. Uh, I immigrated through the express entry program for skilled workers. So you moved to a country that has a publicly funded healthcare system. Um, did you have hopes or expectations coming here about what the system would look like for you? I did. <laughs> um, so one of the reasons, not the only reason, but one of the reasons that I moved to Canada from the U.S. was to escape from the privatization of healthcare. Um, so when I came to Canada, I was hopeful that I would be able to find more affordable care. I have some additional medical conditions that need regular uh, monitoring. I have epilepsy. But I, I was a little bit surprised because it, I, I'm disappointed that the Ontario government isn't providing more resources to healthcare, not just for gender affirming care, but for healthcare in general. Um, that it seems to be the story of Canadian healthcare is long wait times and a lack of doctors. So we're seeing more privatization pop up to fill in those gaps. And this lack of affordability is very dangerous, I find, especially for high risk marginalized groups like people who are transgender or gender nonconforming. This is life saving care. And I will be honest in that I don't think I would be here today without it. Really? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. You were on that that dark a path? I was. It was very hard. I was in a very dark place uh, back in the spring, especially hearing the weight was so far off. Um, but I, I kind of held on to that as my hope is like, if I could just hang on until November, <laughs> then it'll be okay. But it was not a happy state of being for me. Dr. Kate Greenaway wanted her clinic to be a beacon of hope for people like Kit. Foria is a really interesting name. What's that all about? It's supposed to reference gender euphoria, that we're helping people on this journey. The other thing we thought it referenced was kind of for you, like for you. So it was a little bit of a play on words there. Oh, it's a double pun. It's oh, a I, double, yeah. I love it, yeah. yeah. Kit Sparrow first read about Foria Clinic on Reddit. A few weeks later, he was on a call with a nurse practitioner. I was really ecstatic to have someone, you know, on the other end of the line who was able to answer my questions and just know these things, like just a general sense of, of ease that I hadn't experienced before. Um, it, it felt familiar and comfortable and I was far more relaxed. And I, that part of that could also be attributed to the fact that it was, it was virtual. Um, going out into the world as a transgender person can be painful, like going at leaving the house, driving in your car, going to the doctor's office, walking into the reception, sitting down. Sometimes there are people staring at you. Sometimes the nurses will call you back by the wrong name. There's just a lot of pain. And so having that ability to do this virtually in the comfort of my own home and not have to worry about judgment from other people or professionals, it made me feel much more relaxed. 
The move by some provinces to restrict virtual care in general has been applauded by some doctors because they say in-person makes for a more complete assessment and accurate diagnosis. But there are exceptions, and gender-affirming care may be one of them. Dr. Kate Greenaway. So if you are a trans or non-binary person, you know, you want to think about the journey from leaving your front door to getting to a clinic, especially if you have to travel a long distance, right? So, you know, you have to take public transit. You may experience some uh, aggression and transphobia on public transit. You have to move through your community. With virtual care, you know who you're meeting and that first and only person you meet is a healthcare provider who's very you know, well engaged and trained in this in this area. And so the safety, even beyond the accessibility of that kind of rural and remote populations is huge for a trans population. So I, I have become a very big advocate for virtual care. And I think before I started Connect Clinic, it was a question mark for me. But Greenaway's new clinic for it is private, which means clients pay out of pocket for care. An initial assessment costs about $600 for three appointments with a nurse practitioner. Annual follow-ups and mental health counseling cost about $100, while surgical referrals are 200 Dr. Greenaway isn't happy with charging clients at all, but these fees are enough for Foria Clinic to break even and keep providing care to people all over Ontario. Tell me about the people who you see. Tell me about them and tell me about the impact that they have on you and the people who work with you. So we have a we have a joke at Foria um, that we have a counter on the wall that says it's been blank days since I cried at Foria, and it's always at zero, right? Because every day we are moved by a patient story um, that actually moves us to tears. The you entire are, you're about to cry right yeah. now. I, I like I the the stories that our patients tell us are stories of such resilience you know, a dedication to living in their authentic lives, despite so many obstacles and barriers. If we were having this conversation in the state of Florida, you might be called a woke physician, Mm -hmm. uh, and uh, and that it will lead to an inevitable backlash. I have to not spend time thinking about what other people believe about me, right? And I I do worry, though, about a political culture shift damaging more lives. I'm not afraid of engaging in this um, arena. And I I, I actually just want the people we work for, our community and trans and non-binary people we see through Foria and, you know, through my other clinics that I am I am going to stand up for them that I have a particular privilege as a cisgendered person as a you know white physician like I have quite a lot of privilege and power and I am going to continue to be really visible um, and I you know let me be your lightning rod I will be there to take that sort of criticism and especially if it protects the community I'm working with in January 2024 Foria began offering virtual care in Alberta Unlike Ontario, for Albertans, it's publicly funded. But there's also been political pushback in that province. In January, Alberta Premier Danielle Smith proposed restricting access to gender-affirming care for youth. Prematurely encouraging or enabling children to alter their very biology or natural growth, no matter how well-intentioned and sincere, poses a risk to that child's future that I, as Premier, am not comfortable with permitting in our province. She said children under 16 will not be allowed to access puberty blockers or hormone therapy for the purpose of gender affirmation, except for those who have already started such treatments. It should be noted that Foria does not treat youth. 
there are places in Canada where we've seen growing open resistance to the work that uh, you do. I'm thinking about provinces like Saskatchewan and New Brunswick. What do you make of that? Yeah, it's actually interesting. I think two weeks ago, if you'd asked me what I thought about Saskatchewan and New Brunswick, I would have said, oh, like, I, I'm, I'm, I'd be worried about entering into that province right now, right? I think that the climate, but I, the climate in Alberta is so much worse, and I'm already there that now, now I feel like maybe I have to be open to going into those provinces sooner. Um, I think the challenge is, um, for us at Foria is, is remembering that this political rhetoric does not actually reflect a lot of the community. So there, you know, there are people that need care and there are lots of members of the community who support having gender affirming care. Um, And indeed like this um, signaling, like the governments are doing, you know, this, all the talk about, you know, names and pronouns that the people won't be allowed to choose them. That's, that's signaling to the far right that it's, it's fine to discriminate against trans and non-binary people. And we just have to not be afraid of that, right? I'm not happy with the rhetoric that's happening, but it doesn't stop me from wanting to go to those provinces. And certainly our plan is to keep expanding. Which ones seem the most promising? Do you care to say? I'd love to say. Have you heard about Manitoba? (laughs) So basically, again, there's quite a geographic diversity in Manitoba. And so I would say like a great, a great place to think about virtual care. And um, their minister of health is a non-binary um, person. And, um, you know, we can see right away that they're already kind of acting to create a system that is going to serve trans and non-binary people in that province. So there's a fight ahead. Um, I sense no flagging energy <laughs> on your part. No, I don't. I don't feel flagging energy. I mean, there's times when I feel defeated. I'm not in one of those low moments right now. Well, Dr. Kate Greenaway, thank you so much uh, for speaking with me and uh, and talking about the work you do. Thank you so much. Kit Sparrow paid for gender affirming care and hasn't looked back. It's been almost a year since you first saw your family doctor about gender affirmation. How would you compare today's kit? to that kit from March 2023. I am so much more confident now. I I think a year ago, I probably would not have had the confidence to have this kind of a conversation. Um, I I feel that I'm living my best self, my true self. I'm able to see things in a clearer way. It feels like I was walking around without glasses, like the world was blurry and I couldn't see myself in it. And now I, now I can. Everything is crystal clear and my mind is less fuzzy. I have less anxiety, less depression. I'm, I'm happy. I'm content. Access to gender-affirming care has been caught up in provincial politics, but healthcare providers are not playing politics when they provide care. They take their guidance from organizations like the World Professional Association for Transgender Health, WPATH. Its mission is to promote evidence-based care, education, research, public policy, and respect in transgender care. That's our show this week. If you'd like to comment, our email address is whitecoat at cbc.ca. White Coat Black Art was produced this week by Jennifer Warren with help from web writer Jason Vermesh, Samir Chabra, and Stephanie Dubois. Our digital producer is Ruby Buiza. Our senior producer is Colleen Ross. That's medicine from my side of the gurney. I'm Brian Goldman. See you next week.
For more CBC Podcasts, go to cbc.ca slash podcasts.